Hello, this is Aaron Eckhart, and you are listening to Center Stage with Mark Gordon, the beautiful one and only Mark Gordon. Welcome once again to Center Stage. My name is Mark Gordon. On this program, we're going to talk with filmmaker Jim Aiken. He's writer and director of The Ocean of Helena Lee, an autobiographical feature that follows 12-year-old Helena Lee's lyrical pilgrimage from summer to spring with her self-destructive surf rat father in Venice Beach, California. The only thing that I can really write is the stuff that's really bothering me. I don't write for any potential audience. And um, it, this was a difficult chapter in my life. I was 12, 13, going through you know, a, lot of, a lot of difficulty, and um, I just felt that it would be good for me to process it. So I wrote it in a couple of months, and um, uh, then we, you know, we cast it. We found Mariah and um, shot it over probably a three-month period. I tried, I wanted the film to cover a year, uh, summer through, basically summer to summer of, of the, her life. And we shot it in about a two-month period, and we just sort of used the weather to indicate the different seasons. Does it still bring back, I mean, even though you've, you've told the story, but it seems like it still brings back, there is a, a wound that has yet to heal. Oh, yeah, it'll never heal. No? Nah. I mean, oftentimes artists exercise their demons by doing their art. Right. Is, is that kind of what this is all it, about? Yeah. yeah. And are you, is, is Helena, does that, is that metaphoric for you? Yes. Okay. I just decided to cast a girl because I just think they're better. In what way? Just every way. They're just an improvement, <laughs> in particular at that age, but in general. Um, I never felt really at that age dude-like, totally, mm -hmm. um, because... What, is it, what does it mean to be dude-like? I don't know. I think maybe just slightly more, um, less sort of uh, evolved emotionally or something, less emotional intelligence, or less, um, I don't know, it's a, it's a difficult thing to sort of generalize, but... Um, it just made sense to me. Just, Were you as contemplative uh, at 11? Definitely. In, in, a, in a terrifyingly unproductive way. Yeah. Explain. How. Well, like the first sentence I ever said, according to my mom, I was, I don't know, two or something. I said, um, what happens if I lose my job? How will I pay for my family to eat? That was my first sentence. So At 11? Just, yeah, I was just concerned. I, I, I had a lot of concerns. And, was that um, because of the instability of the home life? Probably, yeah. yeah. Was it also the loss of your mother? That might have... No, that, that's, not the, that's where the, <clears throat> it deserves the semi-autobiographical. And um, there's, there's just a... It's like that space in between life and death that uh, sort of... It's kind of like this ghost zombie uh, existence of a mother where they're alive, but they're kind of transparent. And um, it's a, it was just a silent, sort of silent childhood at, at her house. My parents split up when I was three. My dad's house was a party, and he was the crazy uncle who was having a lot of fun, and it looked like a lot of fun. And it, and it was fun in the early days, and then you start to see past sort of the short-term um, focus and um, you know it's all an education but it was just in, in part I wanted Helena's journey to be one toward identity which is very difficult with polar opposite influences or examples in, in terms of how to live 
So, well, when you think about the experience mm -hmm. growing up in a, in let's say a challenging childhood, mm -hmm. there are benefits to that when you really process it as an adult because you're given these gifts that maybe somebody totally. else wasn't afforded. What are some of those gifts that you basically? Found? I'm glad you asked it because it's it's I make the films by myself and going through the stuff that I went through made me very self-reliant. I was I don't look to anyone to uh, help, essentially, because it's not, it's just not um, that productive. It's, it's, there, there are too many difficulties with that. So having had that experience, you just lean on yourself. And so I decided to make a film and I just did it. I just shot it, wrote it, shot it, directed it, did the sound, the editing, uh, did the music with my wife. And um, so it's like a one-man band. And so, yeah, I definitely agree. There's an upside to going through difficulty. What was it like when you screened it for an audience for the first time and you were in the audience watching your life, in essence, being played out mm. on screen? Yeah. I mean, you hope that it translates, I suppose. Um, and, you know, when you talk to people after the fact, after it's screened, you get that um, sort of charge that people connect. But what's, what's great about it, and I think it was maybe tying in a little bit to what we were talking about just before this started about the punk rock realm, and in a way, when you're young and you choose punk rock as your kind of identity, you're sort of excited by its exclusivity and the fact that you will be rejected for it. It's invitational to a select few, or at least at that time. And um, that was enjoyable, knowing that certain people would plug in and other people would not. And so that plays out. I've had people completely cranky with this film when it's over because they don't, they don't, they can't plug in. Do you think they're cranky because it might be too close to home? That would be great as well, um, but I think it's just not um, the language that some people appreciate because for a lot of different reasons, maybe for those reasons, sort of the pain, emotion reasons, but also the structure of the film is not super linear in its narrative. It's not one scene must lead to the next and what's going to happen in the next scene. It's, it's slightly um, more um, sort of poem-like and it's, uh, it kind of moves laterally and uh, yeah, it's not such a, it's not such a, it's certainly not a plot driven expression. And those, I think that's why I came so late to film. I, I used to watch movies as a kid and be completely bored. And it wasn't until I was 20 that when I saw Rumblefish and I thought, oh, this is a film because it reminded me of music. It was, um, much more dreamlike and it did not rely on sort of plot tension. It was just a series of moods and, um, flavors and the, and the music and the cinematography and the characters just um, existing and uh, it was much more interesting to me and that's where I sort of woke up to the power of film. We talked about in essence who you're doing the film for. Mm -hmm. Are you doing it for yourself that yes. you're pleased? So it's all oh, about you. Definitely because it, as just as someone who tries to create something the odds of having anyone care are extremely small. There's a zillion films or a zillion songs or a zillion artists. And there were just, you know, grains of sand on the beach. And what are the chances? So if you work on something for two years, you better be happy with it yourself because it's unlikely anybody else is going to catch on. Um, I definitely want to, to make myself happy. I definitely think um, a kind of desperation is good in the filmmaking process, but not... To me, there's sort of two flavors of desperation. There's the one that says, okay, death is coming. 
do your best, maximize sort of whatever talent you have, use it all and don't shortchange sort of the effort. And then the other version of desperation is I got to get, I got to recoup on my money or I need to have success or whatever. That version is not attractive to me. And that's one of the reasons I make it by myself as well. They don't, films don't, don't cost me anything. So it's just a completely personal uh, satisfaction making them. Is death constantly looming over you? Totally. Really? Yeah. In what way? Um, just it's truth. It's certainty. And in, in the fact that if you don't look at it, I feel that you don't um, completely value each passing day. What makes you feel validated and self-actualized? Um... Um... What's that one right there? <laughs> well, it's a tough term because I, I do feel validated and I feel sort of, um, you know, some sort of reward or good feeling when I see what I've done. But, I mean, it, you can quickly sweep it away. And that's a nice pursuit as well. <laughs> to quickly sweep it away or to... Yeah, to, to have both because it just seems like a realistic perspective. I think to just sit in the space of I did a good thing is maybe not totally realistic. I don't know. Either that or it's just a selfish need to feel discomfort. The selfish need to feel discomfort? <laughs> Do you think that makes a better film? Familiarity. That's, I'm sure that's what some of it is. But, um, yeah. How long did it take you to make the film? About a year. Yeah. A couple of months to write it. About two and a half months to shoot it, and then about six-ish months to do all the post, the score, and the edit. Yeah. What part of the process do you like the best, and what do you like the least? Capturing sound is hell. The best part is writing. The best part is writing? Writing, yeah. Writing, yeah. How do, how do you create dialogue, and what is that process for you? I ride my bicycle. and Down on the Strand? Either there around town at night, and it just comes. It comes on the bicycle. When you think about it, do you think about motivating or manipulating an audience? And if so, how would you want them to respond to your film? Um, yeah, I suppose manipulation is a term. I, I kind of um, just hope that the, the, the assembly of images and thoughts and words and music, that the sort of parade of thought... Um, is stirring or meaningful in some way, whether it's cathartic. I mean, I've had people, you know, just crying at the end of the, the film. I've had people just completely detached. So there's a lot of different versions of a response, but, you know, hopefully it's meaningful. I don't want to waste anybody's time. In some ways, the character detaches. And is that something that you did growing up to kind of deal with your father and the separation and all that? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's always um, a nice sort of escape hatch to just run away. And the beach is really um, a productive sort of space for that because you can just feel invisible. It's so grand. You just go down there and you just disappear. So it's, it's good for that, definitely. Yeah. What was your biggest challenge making the film? Nothing was that challenging. I suppose Mariah's hair. Why, why was that? <laughs> she has this great curly hair and it's just like a wild woman's hair. It's just like... You know, when I cast her, I, I saw on this website, you know, I was looking for, I punched in the age group and, you know, 12-year-old girl and all these girls came up and I went through, looked at 500 girls 
And they were all wrong, and then there was Mariah. And she was standing on the beach, holding back her smile, and her hair was just giant with the, with the ocean sparkling behind her. And she just had such a great face, and I just knew. There was no, no acting, I just knew, just from the look on her face, that she had everything. So she came over to the house and auditioned, and she was perfect. She was just, uh, you know, I'm setting up the mic above her head, and she's just staring at me the whole time, just staring. And I kind of, I feel her staring, and I look down, and she doesn't look away. She just keeps staring at me. I thought, just this girl's fearless, and she was great. So her look, her performance, her just, just the way she understood the part was spectacular. And she, I would pick her up, we would pick her up from school and go straight to the beach. She went to school in the Palisades. And I would pick her up, and her hair quite often would be straightened because she liked it straight. And it just, I would get really cranky because I loved it, just crazy. So that was the hardest part. But fortunately, quite often, uh, it would be foggy down there. There's some sort of weather pattern that would cause her hair to be curly again. So all was good in the world. <laughs> that was the biggest uh, challenge. Now, all of it was good. I mean, it was she was great. My other actors are fantastic. It's sometimes difficult by myself. But, um, you know, if you just plan ahead. What is it about doing it alone that resonates with you as opposed to asking for help? I've just found, and you know, this sounds really horrible, and, and everyone will hate me in the world for this, but I've just found that when you need people, everything turns upside down. But when you desire them, it's wonderful. And that's just a big sort of recipe for me. With with filming, I know I can just grab my bag of camera, my, my audio gear, and I just need the actors. So they're the only ones that I need. And for them, for me to feel good about them, I just make sure that, that the capture of the film is enjoyable and that they have something meaningful to look at afterward for their work. So it's your second feature. Second film, yeah. What did you learn about yourself doing this feature? What I learned was just the sort of the small movements of filmmaking and they're just too tedious to even go through. Just how to um, block a scene, shot sequences, lenses that I might use, different mics, distances, the pacing of a scene, how to work with an actor to tell them what they need, how to edit. Just every time you go through all those little steps, you learn something. And it's difficult to even break down what that learning is. It's just you have an instinct that it gets refined every time you, you jump through those hoops. So you held camera and you did all that? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I operate, and I, I operate multiple cameras at the same time. And um, and capture sound. A couple of the scenes, I had a friend hold a boom mic, just to the due to the nature of the blocking of the scene. But yeah, if you plan everything ahead, it works. What's difficult is I don't pay for locations. I'm just using available locations, as you probably saw in the film. They're just all over, you know, Santa Monica and Venice. And quite often, you have everything planned out to the perfect, you know, three o'clock shadows coming through these trees and then you're going to start here and you're going to move here and you're going to change from a, you know, a 28 millimeter to a 50 to a 105 and then they're going to, and then there's a family parked in your location. So things were being spoiled left and right, but then you would get lucky. You'd have some weird light that came out that was just spectacular. The end of the film is one of those situations. I wanted Mariah to do the monologue, which ended the film, which is basically her story. The entire film, she's trying to write a story. And she ends up writing her story, which is essentially a poem, which is sort of a reverberation of how I see storytelling. But she ended up actually crying for 
a reason I won't go into, but it's just there was some difficulty there. And it the way the light was and she and I wanted to just take her away from the scene. Just like let's go eat, let's go get ice cream, just give her a hug and let's do this another day. And she's like, let's just keep going. And so the tears in her eyes were, were real. And just to capture that kind of courage, essentially I'm trying to capture that that moment of where you lose everything, but you say you're going to keep going. And it was happening within Mariah and Helena. So it's just these weird sort of elements coming together. So you get unlucky, you get lucky. Until next time, this is Mark Gordon, and I'll see you center stage. Hello, this is Homer Simpson. Whenever I want to know what's going on in the entertainment world, I listen to Center Stage with Mark Gordon. Hehehe. <laughs>